Welcome to the HT Cambridge podcast. For more information, see our website, htcambridge.org.uk. The reading is um, not the reading that's in the news sheet, but is um, from Luke chapter 23, and it's verses 44 to 47. So Luke 23, verse 44. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening. Uh, If you've been coming to the evening services over the last six weeks, you'll know that we've been looking at the the last, the final words of Jesus on the cross. And um, last week we looked at the word of victory, tetelestai, it is finished. And today we are looking at the last, last words. Um, Jesus' words of relinquishment, his act of letting go into the Father's hands, actively surrendering his life. And those words are, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for these words. Lord, thank you for the trust that Jesus had in you. And Lord God, we pray that you'll come and that you'll open our spiritual eyes to truths that come out of this passage. Lord, give us hearts that are soft and ready to be teachable. And Lord, I pray that you'll use my words in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. So Jesus' final words were words of trust. At the very darkest moment of his life, even as he experienced complete separation from the Father, which is the consequence of sin, he chose to yield himself to the Father, to give himself over completely. He must have felt further away from his Father in heaven than ever. And yet, while utterly abandoned, he put his whole trust all that remained of him as his physical body was dying into the hands of the Father. Why? Because he knew who he was trusting. And at the foot of the cross, even the Roman centurion recognized that this was no ordinary death. And it's likely that he would have overseen many hundreds, possibly even thousands of crucifixions, because that was the main form of execution at that time. But obviously there was something about this death that was different. What was the conclusion that he drew about Jesus? Well, at the least, it was that this man was righteous, that they had killed an innocent man. But in Mark and Matthew's Gospels, he actually says, surely this was the Son of God. Why did he think this? Well, this was the most extraordinarily unusual death. Just let's have a little recap of some of those words that we've heard over the last few weeks. The centurion would have seen Jesus who had been, um, in the last 12 to 15 hours, Jesus had been arrested, he had been um, tried, he had been beaten, he had um, been 
spat upon, he'd been rejected by all those he cared about uh, and utterly abandoned, and he'd been on the cross for six of those hours. So that's between 12 and 15 hours, all that happened. And yet, on the cross, this centurion would have seen him looking down and speaking so kindly and lovingly to his mother and to John, just making sure that his mother was all right and in good hands. He saw him speaking to the, cross, to the thief on the cross next to him, speaking words of kindness and assurance. He saw him forgiving the people who were killing them. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. In all the agony that he was going through, and that's just the physical agony, in all of that, he showed dignity, and clearly he was, he was in control. Um, and now, uh, uh, the last thing he says, he calls out with a loud voice. So after all this, he cries out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. But you know, the thing is, people don't shout when they die. I, I, I've been at the death of both my parents, and they were both... Um, and also uh, at my aunt's deathbed too. They were, they were strong characters. They were full of life, and they had clear and vigorous voices. But what death did, it, it rendered them voiceless. All they could do was just speak so, with such weakness. And apparently, I've, I've, heard, I've sort of done some reading on this, and apparently this is, this is the way that it is. When you, when you die... You, your voice is, is taken away from you because of your weakness. Well, this, there's nothing of this in the way Jesus died. He died confidently, knowing where he was going, knowing he was going into the arms of his father, actively letting go. And I've got a book on famous last words, and I've been struck by the way those who know and love Jesus have died in contrast to those who don't. And many Christians over the years have died committing their lives to, G to the Father using these same words that Jesus used or similar words. But, you know, that, that sort of rock-solid tr trust doesn't start at death. That starts with a life of trust. And, you know, death isn't the easiest of subjects to look at, especially in a predominantly younger congregation. But the thing is, it doesn't only come to us in old age. And probably most of us here will know or have known of someone who's died young. And while you don't want to dwell on it, it's a reassuring truth that when you learn to trust God with your life, you'll be able to trust him in your death and with your death. And I'd like to just draw out three things from these words that Jesus speaks, um, these last words of his, that are things that will bring us reassurance and hope when our times, when times in our lives are difficult and hard going. And the first one is, Father, remember, when you're having a hard time, remember you have a Father who loves you. One of the biggest questions that we'll ever have to ask ourselves is, who am I going to trust? Who am I choosing to trust? The government? Probably not. Your pension pot? Equally, probably not. Perhaps another person. And I was thinking about this. Even the people who are the closest to us, um, the, the closest relationship, even the closest of marriages, that the, the, the best thing that a person can, can commit to you is till death do you part. But beyond that, you're on your own. Who 
Who are you choosing to commit to? Yourself? Well, I know myself too well for that. This is what the Bible says in Psalm 33. For the word of the Lord holds true, and everything he does is worthy of our trust. And now the last thing that Jesus says to his father, quoting from Psalm 31. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he makes one addition that isn't in Psalm 31. He begins this last word with the word father, Abba. And you know, we've all been well taught. We know that, probably, we know, maybe not, um, that this word that Jesus used for father, Abba, was, was the word of intimacy that children use. Children still use it in Israel. Um, Abba, daddy. And it, it's, it's this incredible word of intimacy. Um, and, but for thousands of years, God was... I am, or he was the creator of the universe, the God of Israel, the, the mighty one. But only a handful of times in, in thousands of years was he ever called father. And suddenly, Jesus came onto the scene, and everything he talked about when he talked about God was he would use the word father. All his life, he had known that God was his father. He knew that he was loved by his loving heavenly father. And he opened the way for us to use this word too. And the very first recorded words of Jesus that we ever hear, if, if you remember, he was, um, he'd gone with his parents to the Passover and they were coming back and a day's journey on, his parents suddenly realized that he wasn't with them. And so they went back to Jerusalem and for three days they looked for him. And finally they went into the temple and he was there talking to people and asking questions of, of people far, far sort of senior to him. And his parents go to him and they say, how could you do this to us? And his response was, well, didn't, didn't you know that I'd be in my father's house? Those first words that Jesus is recorded to have said. In John 16, just before his betrayal, Jesus told his disciples, a time is coming and has come when you'll be scattered, each to his own home. You'll leave me all alone, yet I'm not alone, for my Father is with me. I don't know what your experience of Father is, or perhaps was. For some people, it's a negative term and evokes bad memories. And even kind and loving fathers aren't perfect and get it wrong at times. But our Father in heaven never does. I'd like to remind you how your Father sees you. He knows everything that there is to know about you. He knows your weaknesses and he knows your failings. He knows the things that infuriate you about yourself. And he loves you. He's compassionate. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who honor him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers we are dust. He knows us and he loves us. He's never too busy to give you his undivided time. In Psalm 145, the Lord is near to all who call on him. You don't have to queue up to speak to him. He's close to you. When you cry out to him, he's there. He's with you. One of the things I find absolutely amazing, um, not being a mother myself, is we have a, a, a um, mother and toddler group called New Creations. And every week, the mothers are all out here and we have an activity together. And the, the babies. Um, go into the vestry next door and the older children go upstairs. And you will only need to hear one small wail and a mother will get up and go, you know, goodness, I think, how on earth do they know it's theirs? <laughs> but they do because 
it's their child. And that's how God is with us. He recognizes our cry and he, he hears our voice and is near when we call on him. He delights to give us good things. Think about the things that you value most in your life. Every single one of them has been given to you by your Father who loves you. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father, it says in James. He loves you so much that he sent Jesus to come down and die for you. He loves you so much that he took your sin and your shame and paid the price so that you could be set free to know his love, really know it. That's how much he loves you. And I think that there are people here tonight who need to have a fresh revelation of the Father's love for them. And Jesus' last words show us that he knew he was entrusting himself to a Father who loved him. In your dark moments, remember, hang on to the fact you have a Father who loves you. Secondly, remember his hands are big enough. Father, into your hands. As a child, I remember trying to hold on to my father's hand, and I, I have a very clear memory of it, but his hand was so big, and my hand was so little, it was very difficult to know how to do it, and finally he said to me, I'll tell you what, I'll give you one finger, why don't you hang on to that? And my little hand could gr grasp onto his finger. But you know, there's no grasping where God's concerned. We don't have to grasp onto him. His hands are all-encompassing. Our Heavenly Father's hands are huge. The same hands that created the universe, that flung the stars into space. They're the hands that hold us and encompass us. And nothing can take us from his hands when we've committed our lives to him. We'll never fall out. Jesus says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them from my hands. And there's nothing in your life that your heavenly father doesn't care about. Anything that's worth worrying about is worth giving to him. You know, you might be having financial worries. You might be in debt. You might be anxious that you'll never meet your um, future wife or husband. I suppose they wouldn't be your future wife or husband if you weren't going to meet them, but you know what I mean. You might never meet your life partner. You might be fearful of being alone. You might be stressed and struggling in your job. You might be wondering if your marriage will ever pull through. I don't know what it is you need to put in your father's hands today, but what I would suggest is put into your father's hands anything that you worry about anything that you're anxious about. Joyce Mayer says, worry is like a rocking chair. It's always in motion, but it gets you absolutely nowhere. Worry is thinly disguised unbelief. It's saying, I don't believe the promises of God. God's hands are big enough for anything that we can ever give him. We can trust him. And that brings me on to my third point. Remember, he is trustworthy. And the word commit that's used here in this passage means to yield or entrust something to someone. It's like placing something you really treasure in perhaps a safe deposit box where you know that it will be kept absolutely safe and no harm will come to it. And this is what Jesus is saying here. I'm yielding my spirit to my father's safekeeping. Some years ago, I went to the Cirque du Soleil. I don't know if you've been. I strongly recommend it. One of the most spectacular acts 
um, was the, was the, the trapeze artists on the high wires. At 50 feet high, they moved through the air with the most incredible ease. They were quite breathtaking, seemed effortless. But each time they moved to the outstretched hands waiting to catch them, there was a moment of risk when they were in the air. They'd let go of, of their own swing. They were in the air and they were reaching out and arms were reaching out, but they hadn't quite got there yet. There was risk involved. There's always risk involved in trust. And this is the picture where Jesus was as he entrusted himself to the Father. The thing is that he was fully human, and even for a moment, there was that, that second of, of letting go and choosing to trust that he was going to be caught up in the Father's arms, in the Father's hands. And trusting God will always involve a choice to believe that he is good and that he loves you, even when circumstances shout to the contrary. And you know, the hardest times that we'll ever have to trust God are when we're struggling and when we're in pain. I remember as a child breaking my arm and being taken to the doctors and it was hurting so much, I didn't want anyone to touch it. And you know, I remember my parents having to say, you must let the doctor see to it. But when we're in pain, we just want to, we want to grasp it to ourselves. When we're in pain, the best place we can go, the only place we can go to receive healing is to our Heavenly Father who loves us and who we can trust. And this was something the prophet Isaiah knew. Let him who walks in the dark, him who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Never doubt in the darkness what God has shown you in the light. And as you learn to trust actively in God every day, when dark and painful times come, you'll find that turning to him has become a natural thing to do. As C.S. Lewis says, relying on God has to begin all over again every day as if nothing has been done. It's a choice daily to trust him and to trust that he is good. And one person wrote, in my experience, trust is mostly about giving things to Jesus. Is not is mostly not about giving things to Jesus, but giving myself to Him. When I commit myself at the core of my being to the Lord, and start being centered in Him, regardless of the things that are going on in my life, my problems, the demands and impossible situations I face, it's then that I start to have a sense of peace, a knowledge in my heart of hearts that He's the Lord, and that all will be well regardless of how it pans out. Things regain their, their proper proportion and perspective when I give myself into his hands. And a powerful story of someone letting go into the hands of God was the account of Major Chris Keeble um, during the Falklands War. The first and bloodiest land battle of the Falklands War was fought over the 27th and 28th of May, 1982. And the fighting was very intense. And suddenly, the words that Major Chris Keeble probably most dreaded and will never forget, came through on the rather crackling radio. Sunray is down. Sunray re referred to his commanding officer, which meant that his commanding officer had died. And he, was he now found himself in charge of commanding 400 people. And by nightfall, the battalion was running out of ammunition. And he writes this, we had been fighting for 40 hours and we were very tired. It was bitterly cold. One in six of us was either injured or killed, and we had no reinforcements. 
I went back to my group leaders, and it was quite clear that they were looking to me for solutions. We were in a perilous, perilous position, and the responsibility for getting us out of it lay with me. I had no idea what to do. At that point, his hand brushed against his pocket, and in his pocket was a prayer that he had typed out and laminated, and he carried it with him always. And he took it out, and he went and he found a bit of gorse, and he knelt in the gorse when all this was going on around him. And he prayed this, and this is, I've paraphrased it slightly, but basically this, this is what the prayer contains. Father, I, ban uh, my, I abandon myself to you. Do with me as you will. Into your hands I commit my spirit. And he says he found it a terrifying, almost impossible prayer to pray. But then he says, to my amazement, I suddenly felt a real transformation. Instead of feeling frightened, uncertain, cold, miserable, confused, I felt joyful, happy, warm. Above all, he says, he had immense clarity about what he needed to do. He returned to his men and told them that at first light, they would walk down the battlefield, across the battlefield, and invite the Argentine commanders to surrender. His men were very, very surprised at this. The Argentine leaders reported back that they were willing to talk, and so at dawn, accompanied by his artillery officer, officer and a BBC journalist, Keeble approached the Argentines. And he says, I remember walking down the hill thinking this, a rather thinking this is rather nice, like a country stroll. And it was later that he, he realized that he had walked through a minefield. And he then went ahead and had dialogue with the Argentinians, who then surrendered, and the war was won. Our God is trustworthy. Jesus' last words were the bedtime story that he would have learnt from his mother when he was a little boy. And it comes from Psalm 31, which is known as a psalm of trust. And you know, it isn't just a prayer to pray when you're dying. This is a prayer to pray every day of your lives. Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And as I conclude, I'd just like to finish with a story that Rick Warren tells. And as I've said, this is, a, this is a prayer that we can pray in life, but it's also a prayer, as Jesus prayed it, we can emulate him and know that we are in completely safe hands. And Rick Warren says that when he was a little boy, he used to go to bed sometimes, and sometimes he would wake up very, very, very scared, and he'd run into his parents' room, and he'd get into bed, and he'd try and snuggle between them. I think probably most of us can relate to this. He'd try and snuggle between them, and he'd fall asleep, feeling completely safe, and knowing that he was, um, he was there, where he was loved. And he would, he would sleep feeling no fear. And then, as he, after he'd fallen asleep, his father would go, and gently pick him up and take him back to his bed and lie him in his bed where he belonged, no longer frightened. And he said, that's a, that's a very helpful picture of death. We can trust our Heavenly Father that when our time comes, that we are in the safest of hands, that he is utterly trustworthy. Jesus lived being obedient to his Father. He knew what it was to, to walk in the truth that his father's hands were big enough and he trusted him and we too can trust him. As we get to know him, we'll find that he is trustworthy, 
that his hands are big enough. And I'd like to finish by reading some selected verses from Psalm 31. And what I love about this psalm is the fact that even though it's the grimmest of times, the psalmist, the psalmist says one word, and he says this in so many psalms, but. This is happening, but. This is happening, and yet. And we can say, this is happening, but I have a father who loves me. This is happening, and my, fa my father's hands are big enough. This is happening, and I can trust him. And I just, just, actually, before I finish, I just want to say, if you know that this is something you want, but you don't have a full assurance that you have a relationship with your Heavenly Father, because you've never actually given your life to Jesus, you've never surrendered li your life to him, don't leave here without finding out more about it. There'll be people who are here every week who would be delighted to pray with you. There, there is nothing more of a privilege that gives more privilege than to pray with someone who wants to get to know Jesus and wants to know the Father's love. Please don't leave here without, without coming and being prayed for, if that's you. And let's just hear these words from Psalm 31. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Redeem me, O Lord, the God of truth. I will be glad and rejoice in your love. For you saw my affliction and knew the anguish of my soul. You have not handed me over to the enemy, but have set my feet in a spacious place. Be merciful to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and my body with grief. My life is consumed by anguish and my years by groaning. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say you are my God. My times are in your hands. Be strong and take heart, all you who hope in the Lord. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much that Jesus didn't just show us how to live, but how to die, trusting in you. And Lord, thank you that we can say this prayer. Into your hands I commit my spirit, knowing that we relinquish our lives and our trust into the one place where we will never be let down, where we will always be heard. And Lord Jesus, we pray that you will teach us what it is to trust in you more and more as we walk in obedience in our knowledge of you and our love of you. Thank you, Lord, in your name. Amen.